If you're wondering what creates these narcissistic leaders and dictators in our past and our present, and whether you have the ability to slip into doing evil upon the world, then this episode is for you. So strap yourself in for jealousy, envy, narcissism, human suffering, and plenty of questions to get you thinking. But first, here on Split Open, I dissect and condense lengthy content, delivering the most valuable insights in only a quarter of the time, so you can get the hell on with your life. I'm your host, Amy J, and today I'm splitting open a Lex Friedman podcast episode with psychiatrist Paul Conti. And sending a quick hug to all you legends out there who are already following the podcast and engaging with this community. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Okay, I'm throwing you straight in the deep end here. First topic, are you ready? Are we capable of evil? Are we all capable of evil. And Lex and Paul said, yes, absolutely. We all have that inside of us. We all have that ability to step into doing evil. Now, immediately, some of you may disagree with that. So let me know if you do disagree with that. But what I always remember in terms of this topic is this conversation that I had with colleagues ages ago now, but one person was sure that they did not have that evil in them, that they weren't capable of murder, for example. Let's, you know, yeah, we might as well go that dark, right? So yeah, they did not believe that they could ever do that. But then someone else in the conversation said, okay, all right. So if I break into your house and I am creeping into your daughter's bedroom and I am about to harm her and it's either she gets harmed or you kill me, you're telling me that you do not have that in you to save your daughter. And that was it. End of conversation. Because that guy knew. He knew that, yeah, okay, if it's my daughter we're talking about, I can definitely cross that line. Now, obviously, the line looks very different for each and every one of us. What would make me cross it is going to be different to what would make you cross it. And we're going to get into all of that in this conversation. Why some of us can cross it more easily than others. But there are two types of evil that I don't think people consider. Impulsive, reflexive evil and orchestrated evil. So I think we can all hold our hands up and say, okay, I have done something bad. I have done something bad to somebody else. I have hurt them, maybe not physically, but emotionally, or maybe physically, if you've had a fist fight with somebody, you've harmed someone, right? And I think this de- this obviously depends on your definition of evil. I think as well, a lot of us think evil is something most of us cannot comprehend. It is the Hitlers of the world, those kinds of things. But from this conversation, Lex and Paul seem to outline evil as just doing wrong and harm upon somebody else, acting in ways that are not acceptable. So again, we can all hold our hands up and say, okay, we've we've done bad things, right? But the thing with this is that a lot of the times we're deep into an emotion that has taken hold, right? We're not thinking or we don't have the self-awareness and the experience to realize, okay, I shouldn't be doing this. Let me take a step back. We are just acting on impulse, right? It's reflexive. If somebody says something or does something to you, you're just going to react. So that's the first type of evil. However, orchestrated evil is what we link to people like Hitler and the dictators throughout history. It's the they knew what they were doing type of evil. You do not mass murder people and not really know what you're doing, right? So it's that kind of thing. That is orchestrated evil. But there's also the conversation about do these people know that they're doing evil or are they just wired that way and they see it as normal? But Paul says that he does not believe that. He does not believe people who do evil things ever believe they're doing good. He explained it as telling themselves a logical lie. It's a facade. Now there's obviously mental things going on here, right? Maybe it is them telling themselves that they're doing good things 
but deep down they know deep down they know it's like every, all of us right even if you're not overly connected to your intuition and your gut you know what's right and wrong and yeah that's also a conversation isn't it do we innately know and understand what is right and wrong what is good what is evil even if we're not taught that from a young age and I think we do I think that is something that we do know but like Paul said the people who are doing evil they may be saying one thing in their head trying to tell themselves this lie that they're doing good but in their gut they know that they're not they know but these people like Hitler Paul said are also projecting so Hitler was trying to create the Aryan race and it was him projecting everything negative about himself and trying to be rid of it so it was his messed up backwards way of trying to release everything that he didn't like about himself but we'll get into all of that in a second now lex mentioned that there can be a narcissistic type of evil where you don't care if people die so hitler right so you don't care if people die as long as you feel good and another is where you get some sort of joy from making others suffer so this was Lex's point of view, but then Paul countered that. And he thinks that it's all the same. So if you're getting a kick out of hurting people or whether you're just trying to make yourself feel good, Paul believes it's all the same. But let me know what you think. Do you think there's a difference? Because initially I thought, well, yeah, there's obviously a difference. Like getting a kick out of hurting somebody, seeing somebody suffer seems very different to somebody acting in a way to just try and make themselves feel better. But Paul's argument was that either way, it boils down to gratification from the orchestrated evil. And this all stems from envy. So let's get into this, right? Where does envy come from? And how does that turn into evil? So if everything stems from envy, the first thing that we have to discuss is jealousy. Now, jealousy, natural part of being a human. We've all experienced jealousy. And jealousy is wanting what someone else has. However, envy is actively bringing people down to suffer because they have something you want. So, you know, if you're jealous, you may be like, okay, this person has what I want. I'm jealous. What am I going to do about it? Most likely you're going to change your actions. You're going to do something to help yourself in getting what they want. You're not going to drag them down by the ankles, right? Well, I hope you're not doing that. Maybe don't tell me if you are. Now, this next part I found really interesting. Lex asked Paul, is jealousy a gateway drug if you will or a slippery slope into envy and again i think if you just think of this initially you're probably like yeah if you feel je jealousy enough if it gets bad enough if you just let it get out of hand then naturally it would probably turn into envy but remember this conversation is saying that envy leads into evil so then would you change your mind on that because as Lex and Paul talked, I think I did. So Paul says, no, it's not a slippery slope from jealousy to envy. Because if you're jealous, you're not thinking about how you can harm the other person you're jealous of, right? Like I said, you just figure something out and you change your actions or whatever. But if you're envious, that's when you're thinking of doing something to hurt them. And that's kind of the option that you have, right? You have to hurt them. You have to pull them away from what they have, what they're doing, so you can kind of get in there. Now, maybe you have those thoughts, even if you're jealous. I think we all have. We may not say, hey, I'm jealous of you and I want to slap you into next week, but we may think it. But obviously, thinking it and acting upon it are two very different things. And most of us will think these thoughts potentially here and there, but we will bring ourselves back to a baseline. Because overall, we don't want to feel jealous. It's not a nice feeling, right? So we'll do whatever we need to do to bring ourselves away from that. 
And by away from that, I do not mean her and the other person, right? Because then that is into envy. So if you get these thoughts and you bring yourself back away from those thoughts, then you're good. You're just sitting on the side of jealousy. But envy is where it will take you further and further into the depths of thinking those harmful thoughts. And maybe they take over your mind, right? Until eventually you act on it. So I like where this went. I like how Paul put this and I like that separation from jealousy and envy and that it's not a slippery slope into envy from jealousy because, you know, I like to think positively about this whole human experience and what we're doing. And I like to think that most of us are sitting on the side of jealousy and not envy. But clearly we all have varying degrees of evil, jealousy, envy and whatever. But why? The question is why? Now, I feel like I'm talking about this all the time, but it's obviously for a reason, but apparently a lot of evil and envy stems from childhood. Of course it does. <laughs> and if you haven't checked out my episode with Gabo Mete, then, you know, he's the king of childhood trauma. So you should go check that one out. Okay. So childhood and evil and all of that. So if you're raised and told you're not good enough and have to fight for love and affection, then you can develop a hatred of yourself. Now, as I said, there's a lot of stuff about stemming from childhood trauma, right? But that indicates that evil and envy and all the bad stuff is manifested from a young age. So are we born this way? Because that's the big question, isn't it? Are we born evil? Because some people, they just do horrific things. And you think, there is no way that this was like a cute, innocent child at one point. And I've believed that. I've believed, you know, they must have been born evil. They must have. But, you know, you dive into it and you look at a lot of these people's backgrounds it is messed up. It is incredibly messed up. And that's just, that's just the stuff that we know about the things that we know about their upbringing. Think about all of the stuff that's still hidden. And again, I like to think positively. I like to think that we are all born good. So let's, yeah, let's go with that, shall we? But what I wonder is, can you develop this evil as an adult? Because if a lot of things are stemming from childhood trauma, what about the trauma as an adult? Maybe you had a fairly decent upbringing, you know? You are definitely not slipping into evil doing. But what if, as an adult, you are just pushed and pushed and pushed? It's just tragedy after tragedy, tragedy and, you know, okay, you didn't have a tragic upbringing, but you didn't have an upbringing where you were taught how to regulate your emotions, how to deal with your psychology and your mental state or any of that kind of thing, right? You're getting by, but you don't really know how to handle things. So what do you think? Let me know in the comments. Do you think that we can slip into this evil as an adult, even if we haven't become evil from our childhood? And they didn't go into this, but they probably should have. But maybe there's not really an answer. Anyway, so this hatred of self you have as a traumatized child is actually unacceptable to the self. You know, the self likes to believe that we're the shit, you know, we are top dog. But this leads you to blame someone or something else for your misfortune and deep set insecurity and vulnerability. Obviously, you know, blame external sources as always. But then what does this create? It creates the leaders and dictators trying to push certain narratives and blame onto the rest of us. And then Paul described it as envy is a domino effect of destruction, but the destruction never alleviates the envy. And that's the thing. That is why you see these dictators. This is why you see the Hitlers of the world just going and going and going and causing all of this destruction because they're trying to get something and feel something the only way they know how, and it's just not working because they're not going to the root cause, right? But again, Lex really pushed 
that he believes that jealousy and envy are the same thing. He does not believe, as Paul said, that it's a big leap. And this talk of childhood trauma, he said, you know, if I had more trauma, then I could have made a different decision. I could have chosen not to stay in jealousy and just gone straight into envy. And this is what it's saying, right? If you are heavily traumatized, then that step is easier. That's what they're saying. That's the whole point. But Paul believes that even if we are heavily traumatized and our view is inherently negative and we're always comparing to others, hating ourselves, wanting what others have, still crossing over from jealousy to envy is massive. And he was adamant on that. But as Lex said, he chooses to stay in jealousy. He chooses to bring himself away from that envy line. He brings himself back to that baseline. That is a decision that he makes. And this shifted the conversation into us all being responsible for our actions, for what we do, for what we decide to nurture and for what we decide not to nurture. So Lex isn't nurturing the envy. He's pushing that away. But what if you're on, you're naturally on the other side? What if you're already leaning over and touching envy? Is that still a decision? Because if everything is stemming from childhood and you're heavily traumatized and you don't have that awareness to make that decision, you are just in survival mode. You are doing whatever you feel you need to. You do not, again, like I said, know how to regulate your emotions and deal with things. And this is like the only option in your mind. Is that still a choice? Because they really went into this and Paul was really pushing that we all are responsible for what we do and it is up to us to make the right decisions. But of course, if you don't have self-awareness, if you cannot take a step back and say to yourself, okay, I'm feeling envy, I want to do harm on this person, that is not good, then are we actually all responsible? Like, I understand we are responsible for ourselves. We have to make the effort to understand ourselves, to have that self-awareness, to make the right decisions. But it's also not that simple. From doing work on myself, I realize how few people actually do work on themselves, that they do not have the emotional intelligence to understand themselves let alone anybody else or what the hell is going on in this world in their own minds. A lot of us do not have that deeper understanding. So how responsible can we be? But then I think this does circle back to what I mentioned at the beginning, where people know what they're doing. Even if their mind is telling them, harm these people, you have to. Just harm them, you'll feel better. Deep down, deep, deep down, they know that's not what they should be doing. But still, if you do not have the tools to recognize that and properly recognize that so that that feeling is then a thought in your mind to tell you this is wrong. What are you doing? I don't know. I mean, let me know what you think, because this is all you just see. I seem to go around in circles, right? You think about it and it's like, yeah, but what about this? And there's obviously nuance to everything, especially psychological things. And I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know the ins and outs and the nuances of all the possible scenarios and things, right? But it's bloody interesting though, isn't it? Now, with this jealousy to envy boundary, if you're just making a personal individual decision, you're less likely to cross over. But what do you think makes it easier? Hitler. (laughs) Okay, no, not just Hitler, but what was Hitler? He was a strong leader. And when you have a strong leader in front of you, it is much easier to band together as a group and take that step over into envy. Mob mentality and all of that. And what these leaders are doing are preying on the envy that the rest of us feel. So they'll lie to you to make you believe that causing all of this destruction will make you feel better. Because that's why they're doing it, right? So they're trying to pull you into that lie as well. Misery loves company. And, you know, we can somewhat see this in our culture right now. There are so many people 
advocating on extreme sides of the left and the right and they're trying to pull people in one direction like there's no middle ground it seems anymore you either far left or you're far right each side is pulling in people who need that gratification from trying to drag the other side down you've got these leaders these people advocating for each side but as lex and paul said this just creates more destruction and everyone's still left feeling like a pile of poop right because there is no understanding it isn't solving anything. It is just a bunch of people trying to get some sort of gratification and relief without actually dealing with that root cause, what they're actually feeling. Now, I'm not saying that if you're far left or far right, that you're an envious person and, and need that gratification by dragging others down. But this is all conversation. And as I said, there are nuances to things, but you can see, right? Some people on those extreme ends do take that step into that envious evil doing and maybe they wouldn't have if everyone else around them wasn't banding together and making that step easier okay this is deep and dark isn't it but as for all of this destruction it's predominantly driven by narcissists now why so a narcissist is completely driven by envy but before we get into all of this, let's define what narcissism is. And I think a lot of people actually get this wrong because when they were talking about this, I was like, oh, I never understand that this is what narcissism actually is. So Paul gave a non-clinical definition of narcissism, a deep, pervasive and unquestioned sense of inadequacy in the self that comes along with anger, fear, vulnerability and fear of self-destruction. It is compensated for by aggression, envy and trying to make the self seem better at the expense of others. Now, what's really important to know is that it is not arrogance. And I think I kind of felt like narcissists were very arrogant, but it's the opposite because there's such a deep sense of inadequacy, right? They're not arrogant because they hate themselves. They do not see themselves in a good light whatsoever. That's why they're a narcissist. That's why they're trying to drag everyone else down. And narcissism is often mistakenly thought of as being solely focused on the self and not caring about anyone else. And again, this took me off guard. I was like, oh, okay, such a deeper understanding of this. So they do care about others, but because they're constantly looking at what others have that they don't. So I guess in a sense, they don't care about others. They only care about the self, but there's not this just complete disregard for others now before we get into this more i need to ask you a small favor if this is not your first time here listening to the podcast and you're not already subscribed or following then i would hugely hugely appreciate it if you could do that for me we have a good time here we have some deep conversations we push back with one another and you'd be joining an absolutely amazing community and of course you engaging in the community it keeps me motivated and inspired to keep sharing these conversations with you all so thank you so much i appreciate you all right, so back to narcissists. Okay, so we need to talk about empathy. So people can have empathetic attunement, but that does not equate to care, which is what narcissists are like, right? They know how to appear empathetic without actually caring. And that's kind of the messed up part really, isn't it? Now, benign narcissists can actually be well-liked because this is when they currently have enough, right? They have enough and they can tolerate that other people also have stuff, you know, as long as it's not more than them. However, malignant narcissism is wanting everything. And even if you have everything, it is still not enough. And this is the issue. It's that malignant narcissism, right? And I've sort of talked about our leaders and the 
people in the world that are in positions of power. And the question I think we've all probably discussed at some point is can power push you further into malignant narcissism? Okay, maybe that wasn't the exact question, but it's about the effect of power on the human mind, right? We've all said this, like, oh, the power's gone to his head. So that's what we're talking about here, right? Now, power is an intensifier. So whatever emotions you feel, how you view the world, all that kind of thing, if you have power now, of course, that's going to intensify everything. And ask yourself, how do you think you would hold up under a position of power? Running a country, for example. And I think, you know, it is difficult to answer this. It's very easy to be like, oh yeah, I'd be fine. I wouldn't let it go to my head. But that's also quite naive. As we've stated, we all have that ability to do evil, even if it's something minor and we just act on impulse. You know, we are emotional creatures. So even if you think that you'd be okay under power, under a position of power, maybe you wouldn't because we probably all have that potential for it to go to our heads. Now that's the bad side of things, right? We all have the potential to turn corrupt and let power drive us in a negative direction, but we also have it in us to be what Paul called a shepherd with power as well. So someone who leads people into the light, into the good, away from that envy and evil, right? But the issue with us, <laughs> and yeah, I think we all know this somewhat, is that we don't know how to foster those people who genuinely are trying to shepherd society and culture into something better. And obviously it is difficult when you've got these narcissistic, envious leaders. They're getting their people to band together and you've got this horde of people just trying to create chaos. But anywho, so Paul weaved this conversation, this part of the conversation, you know, where do these leaders come from? Why are they in power? We need to get rid of the narcissists kind of thing. He weaved this into the issue of things stemming from our younger generations and how we're not doing nearly enough to educate them. So again, it comes back to what people are doing with children, right? That childhood trauma is obviously deep set. And if we're not making changes at that level with our children, then of course, it's just going to snowball into these dictators and leaders who are narcissistic, evil people. And Paul put this pretty good, to be honest. He said that he learned everything that he needed to know about life as a second year postgraduate psychiatry student. So what? He's in his 20s and he's figuring out how to regulate his emotions, how to understand his emotions, what drives him, what unconsciously drives him his psychology and how that's having an effect on his life. And he's like, why? Why did I only learn it then? Why are we not taught how to understand the impact of trauma, unconscious motivation at a younger age? All of it. Now, personally, this is something that irritates the heck out of me. I am lucky and I know that I am lucky that life has led me down a path where I got to work on myself. I reached a point and things happened in my life and it prompted me to take a look at myself, to learn about my psychology, to understand my childhood, the things that were classed as trauma for me in my childhood, how to work through those things, how to have awareness in my day-to-day -day life. But I know that this is not the case for everyone because I have people around me who just do not understand the things that I do. They do not understand the amount of work I've done on myself. They do not know even where to start with that. It just does not make sense in their minds. All they know to do is cling on to life, trudge through, get on with it. And I'm British, so I know a lot of people who simply just get on with it. 
don't necessarily address anything. So again, I know I'm extremely lucky, but I shouldn't be extremely lucky. This should be standard for everybody, right? We should have all learned these things at a young age because then we would all be well-equipped to deal with ourselves and to understand and deal with other people. Have some patience for other people. And this is what my last episode went into all about modern dating, right? Everything is human psychology and we know nothing about it as the average human. And this is what Paul said. He was a second grad psychiatry student and he is extremely lucky too because he has gone down that route of psychiatry, psychology, understanding the human mind. But again, most of us don't do that. That is not most of our careers. So unless you were brought up with these amazing parents who taught you all of these things or you at some point went down the route of psychiatry, psychology, you basically got no chance, you know? But if you think about it, if we teach kids this stuff, it would cultivate future leaders who are turned away from that envious path and towards shepherding our society in a positive direction. It all makes sense. If everything stems from childhood, that is where we need to be putting our resources. That is where the focus needs to be. Now, the issue though, is that right now, teaching children about human nature, how to deal with their emotions, all of that kind of thing, is assumed to be the responsibility of the parents. But most of the time, as I just outlined, parents don't even understand any of that. So how can you teach your child something that you do not know? And this is what you see, right? You see heavily traumatized adults having children and then traumatizing their kids. And that is not their fault. I'm not blaming people for that. I'm not saying that it's, it is bad, but it's not, you know, like a bad thing. It's not that like they are making that decision. But as I've said, people are just doing what they know how to do. And if you don't know there are other options, if you haven't taken that step back, worked on yourself, if things have not happened in your life to put you onto that kind of path, then you are just doing the best that you can. And sometimes the best that you can do is still tragic. So you can see there's just this cycle, right? Traumatized adults, traumatizing children, those children will grow up to be traumatized adults who will then traumatize their children. And I think this is why these kinds of conversations, these podcasts are so important, but still <laughs> I assume that a lot of these kinds of things do not get put in front of the people who need to hear it the most. Obviously it does make its way to some people, but it's not in front of the masses yet. And maybe that will change. Hopefully that will change because all of this is incredibly sad. To be honest, right? There are so many people out there dealing with tragedies, for example, and they're feeling shame and they're feeling guilt and they are depressed and their emotions are just all over the place. They are suffering because they do not know what to do. They do not have the tools in their arsenal to get themselves through it in a healthy way. And you know what? Maybe you're in this boat right now. And I'm grateful though, if you are in this boat, that you are listening to this and this conversation has gotten to you because like I said, a lot of people will never listen to podcasts like this or the original with Lex and Paul, anything like that. It will not be put on their radar and they will continue to suffer. Now, I mean, yeah, this conversation, as I said, is very deep and dark and depressing in a lot of ways, but it's necessary. And I hope this is making you think and I hope it is making you realize some things and hopefully it's making you think about how you can be different, how you can work on yourself if you haven't started that journey yet and everything is a ripple effect right we can't change our society and our culture tomorrow but for those of us who do listen to these podcasts and these conversations and try and understand ourselves and society and other people we can make a difference right and it just takes 
a few of us to create that ripple effect. But if we just sit here and do nothing and make no effort, then things aren't going to change. If anything, they'll probably just get worse. So yeah, I hope you are getting something out of this. Now, okay, this next bit is just as deep and dark and horrible. I'm very sorry. But yeah, let's go back to childhood. And one of the big issues that was raised is child abuse. Now, this was obviously from Paul's perspective as a, as a psychiatrist, his understanding of the human brain and how it develops. So he explained that the brain is developing, obviously, when you are a child, it's still developing. So abuse as a child changes the brain's pathways. So your brain is literally changed if you go through any kind of abuse. So you can see why this is such a big conversation and why Paul was really adamant on focusing on caring for our children more. Now he did say that even if you have gone through abuse and your brain pathways have shifted, that's not to say that you cannot overcome this trauma as an adult. But of course the impact is massive and it makes it much harder to break those pathways when you're older. Of course it does. The, hu the odds are hugely stacked against you in all aspects of life. How you think and feel about yourself, how you connect to others and your behaviors in the world. But, and I really appreciated this aspect because as I said, everything seems to be about childhood. And this still is, but it's the other end of the trauma spectrum, which I don't really hear people talking about much. But Paul was explaining that people who experience very little trauma, so you have a fine and dandy upbringing, I mean, we all have trauma in a sense, but yeah, nothing super major. This can actually create omnipotence, which down the road can also lead to chaos, basically. So this like, omnipotence is when you can see the bad things happening to others around you, right? You can see the tragedies, people not being able to deal with things, but you believe that they don't happen to you and that they won't happen to you. They haven't so far, so why would they in the future kind of thing? But this is bad in its own right because when things finally do happen, and they will. You will experience a loss. Things will happen. It's just how things go. We can't get through this life without being traumatized and going through something tragic. So when it does finally happen to you, you're flung into all of these negative emotions that you don't understand, that you do not know how to handle, and it can feel like you're drowning. But again, it comes back to not being taught how to regulate our emotions and understand them, right? And the issue is that we're taught logic beats emotion as well. And it's the other way around. We are not rational, logical creatures if there's a strong emotion present. So you're getting told to basically think logically, but you have this deep, strong emotion that's trying to push logic out the window because, well, it is basically. So then you feel completely lost because you're like, well, logically I should do this and this will make me feel better. But your emotion is like, no, I don't want to do that. Just stay in bed and forget about it. Forget about the day. So you're just completely conflicted and it makes things 10 times worse because you don't understand what is going on. And I think we can probably all relate to this, right? We can all somewhat relate to bad things happening and then our logic just goes straight out the window because we're hurting. And then of course we make poor choices which make no sense to us in hindsight when we're out of that fog, right? And then that can lead to, to regret. It's almost like an out-of-body experience, right? You're acting in ways that make no sense to you in that hindsight. And this circles back to the very beginning of this conversation of that impulsive evil rather than orchestrated evil. If we are acting on strong emotion, if we are lost in the abyss, just trying to get out, then yeah, you can do some weird evil, but it's not, it's almost like it's not you in a way, right? It was that emotion. 
All right. So now that we know we're neglected when it comes to being educated and how to understand ourselves and deal with our emotions, here are a few things from Paul that he outlined that you can do. Now, he framed it as when you're drowning in a soup of negative emotion. I quite like that. (laughs) It's poetic. Okay, so he said you need to separate how you feel from what is true. As I've already said, we are led by our feelings and our emotions, and then they can become the truth. They're not the truth, but it feels like they're the truth. So we have to understand that a negative emotion can be momentary. And if you understand that, you can step outside of it rather than let it drive you and become your reality. This is easier said than done, of course, but these are the things that we need to talk about and bring up, right? Because if you just have no idea whatsoever how to deal with things, this may seem very simple to some of you. This may have just blown your mind to understand that your feelings and emotions aren't reality because they feel like reality a lot of the time. So this comes into self-awareness, observing yourself rather than just getting completely lost in your emotions. So we have to train ourselves to take that step back. You have to choose. Give yourself the ability to choose. Do not be driven by your emotions. And then practice gratitude and humility. If you're feeling negative towards someone else, think about what they can teach you instead. It's very easy to get bogged down in these negative emotions, but try and flip them. If you're jealous of somebody, be grateful that they're in your vicinity and you can potentially learn from them and then achieve what they've achieved or whatever it is. Again, easier said than done, but you have to practice. And all of this is practice. You have to take it step by step, a little bit at a time, but you have to do it consistently, right? Until it's ingrained, until it's part of your life. And I know this because it's exactly what I did. You start with one thing, you implement it, make it a habit. And then over time, self-awareness, understanding how you're feeling in any given moment, having the ability to choose how you react. It's a blessing. It's hard work. It is, but it is a blessing once you get there. Now, heading back to evil, envy, narcissism, all of that stemming from childhood. That means we need to understand it, right? We need to understand that trauma. But what's interesting is that trauma is usually, of course, seen as negative. But what about the positives? So again, yeah, lots of interesting insights in this conversation that made me like listen more closely, right? But trauma, it can drive us to creativity. Suffering can create a passion inside of us. And Lex said, he was like, I don't want to romanticize hardship, but trauma in childhood, if it doesn't break you, can develop you into an interesting person and help you flourish. Now, this is extremely true. Think about your favorite celebrity, right? Or someone that you admire. You probably admire them because they've been through something tough. Maybe it's something tough that you can relate to and you can see yourself in them. And you think, oh, well, if they've gone through the same thing as I have, then I can be as successful as them or at least half as successful as them. It's inspiring to see people struggle and get through it and come out on the other side. And this is beautiful. That's why we admire that. That's why we're drawn to that. When you hear of somebody's struggles and then see where they are now, it's beautiful and it's inspiring and it gives you hope. So there is beauty and positivity in this trauma. Personally, we can get through it and achieve a lot of things. It can drive us and that can then inspire others who are watching you do that. Still, it is upsetting that you have to do that, you know, but we don't want to just all be doom and gloom anyway in this conversation because it is a lot of that. So yeah, it's nice to focus on the positives that trauma can potentially bring. 
Now, obviously, it's all well and good if you can recognize your trauma and use it as motivation to better yourself. But that is not the case for everyone. Some people experience minimal trauma or something seemingly small but bad, you know, can happen and it completely flaws them. People are different and some people are extremely sensitive. So something that would not even bother you, you would be like, okay, whatever, and brush it off, can completely destroy somebody else. Now, I don't know if we are born that way, you know, some people just naturally more sensitive, or again, is that something that stems from our childhood? They didn't go into it, so I'm not really sure. But either way, we all need to know how to overcome trauma, right? So Paul outlined that we need to acknowledge what the trauma has done. Speak to someone or write it down. The key is to bring forward everything that you've thought or felt about that trauma. And let's be honest, most people do not do this. As I said, we just get on with it, push it down, whatever. We do not acknowledge it. We do not go, hey, this thing in my childhood was really and I haven't dealt with it and I probably should. Because it's painful. I get this. It is painful. We don't want to delve into our past, especially not the dark areas. And we do not want to feel what we felt back then. We do not want to relive it. Thing is though, you're holding on to it and you are causing yourself so much more pain. May not seem like it because you're pushing it down, suppressing it, but it is working on you in the background. Okay, next. Know that the hijacked emotions of trauma make you believe a lie. You have to hold it up to the light of day. Exposing what trauma has done allows you to move on to the next step of overcoming it. And that's the thing, right? You want to overcome it. You don't just want to hold on to it. Now, voicing things out loud can make you see the truth of the situation. It breaks the story you've been telling yourself. Because if you have this trauma and you're holding it in and you're telling yourself a story, maybe you're saying, oh, that that was my fault. The reason I went through all of that was my fault. But if you voice it to someone and you say, hey, yeah, so-and-so did this to me and it was my fault, you can hear that back to yourself. And a lot of times you'll be like, wait a minute, no, that's not right. When you're just talking internally, you tell yourself such a different story. And this is something that a lot of us don't realize, right? I did not realize that before I started working on myself. And when I started talking to my partner and writing things down, I was like, oh, I'm such a bitch to myself. And it's not needed. It's not true either, the story that I was telling myself. And finally, having enough humility to see how people can be different from us and how we can even be different from ourselves at times is powerful. Now, this was very powerful to me because I think about who I was five years ago, and I don't even know that person anymore. The way I lived, thought, and acted makes me feel a little bit ashamed in a way. I know that it was necessary for me to be that person, and I accept that I was that person, and I accept that I am not that person now, because I know that I was doing my best back then, and I've now taken the time to understand why I was the way I was back then. But even so, some things still don't make sense. But I think they don't make sense because I'm looking at it from the point that I'm at now. And to me, that person doesn't make sense in some places. But that is okay. Part of understanding ourselves is understanding there are things that we can't understand. But as long as you're moving forward, you can appreciate and be grateful for for where you've come from. You can release any shame that you feel or guilt or anything like that of maybe, you know, how you were living before, who you were before. That's incredible because that means you're making progress. That means you have evolved. And if you've evolved, most likely you are now able to understand yourself on a level where you can work through situations. And this is something that I really appreciate 
from working on myself, from understanding my traumas, is that I can now be flung into a situation, a circumstance, a scenario, and there is a level, an underlying level of calmness. And I did not have that before. Something would happen and it's an instant panic. So now knowing that I can just go through life and I can deal with it, it creates peace. You know, and Paul said that he believes that we all have a shadow from Carl Jung, right? We all have a shadow and there will always be things in there that need to potentially come to the surface, but they're not necessarily ominous. You know, we're not necessarily suppressing things and holding things in. And that's the place that I feel like I've reached. I know that there are other things that I can work on and I'm sure that they'll come up. I'm sure I will go through things and it will bring things to the surface, but I have done enough of a deep dive on myself now that I do, like I said, have that underlying calmness, that underlying peace. And if something does come up, I will deal with it because I have the tools to do that. And if you are at a point where you do not have the tools, I hope that this has given you something to consider, something to potentially try, at least put it at the forefront of your mind to put it on your to-do list, right? To have a go at looking at yourself and understanding yourself a little bit more. Now, I'm going to leave you with some things to think about if, you know, I haven't already done that. So what are your values? We all need to know what we value, else there's no real path to follow. And this will keep you, you know, on a decent course, not slipping from jealousy to envy, whether you think that's a big leap or not, but having things that you value in your life, such as in your friends, not just yourself, but in your friends, the people around you. So a good example is my partner and I, we value our time and the time of others. So we expect people to be on time if we've arranged to meet and we make sure that we are on time as well. Just a simple thing, but a huge thing, right? That is one of our values. Now, this next point I think is really important because we can become so paralyzed with fear and terror because we're so connected to everything that's going on on in the world now, right? We are all so connected to everything that we forget to rein it in, to take that wide lens and narrow it a little bit. So take a look at what you're doing in your life, in your community around you, within your family. That is what matters. Like I mentioned before, what you are doing personally can have a ripple effect. You want to start that ripple effect. You can't start a ripple effect if you're looking out at the entire world. A ripple starts in a concentrated area, right? So that's what you need to do. Focus on how you are behaving, how you're going about your community and your family and the effect that you're having there. And then finally, the more we know about humans, the more we marvel. But there's so much misunderstanding of each other. We focus on our differences and the things that we want that others have. And the recklessness of humans comes from not stopping to marvel at how complicated and miraculous we really are. So take some time to marvel. And that may seem a little bit airy-fairy woo-woo to you, but I don't really care. I think it's true. I think sometimes we just get so wrapped up in the negativity and the chaos. And sometimes we just need to step back and go, you know what? It's a bloody miracle that we're even here. So can we just sit in that for a moment? Sit in the miracle that is this world and this life. Now, as always, this original conversation was full to the brim with information and insights, but I picked out the meatiest, juiciest stuff for you to chew on. Let's continue the conversation because you guys leave me some epic comments and you really challenge the way that I think and see things too. And I love that. That's 
I mean, that's why I do this. But I really hope you got something from this. As always, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you.